sure, uh, we sure appreciate everybody's faithfulness to give because that's enabled us to do everything we're doing without going in debt. So that's been a blessing to the church and to the kingdom. So appreciate everybody's faithfulness. What we're going to do tonight, we're probably not going to get to chapter 5, but we're going to do chapter 5 and chapter 6. I don't, want to, I don't want the main message to get lost, so we're going to look at some stuff tonight to make sure we understand the time we're living in and, and keep this stuff in front of us. That's why I created this, the information on this chart, and then Keith back there uh, did all the... He's a pretty good drawer, you can tell there. So That's stuff I don't know nothing about. I'm technology illiterate. So, But we got this information so you can put it in front of you, put it on your refrigerator or... Tape it on the ceiling above your bed, whatever you want to do with it. <laughs> or you can keep it in front of you, right? Keep it a reminder what, what day it is, right? What time it is. So uh, I drew some of this up here on the board too. and We'll look at some of this with some scriptures. So uh, let's pray and then we'll get started. We welcome all you guys that are joining us around the globe tonight. Father, we thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for your forgiveness. It's because your mercies are new every day that none of us are consumed. And we're grateful for that. We thank you for eternal life. We thank you for your word. We are only in the dark as Christians if we choose to not study and learn of you. If we learn your word, we are not in the dark. So we're thankful, Lord, you've not left us that way. And we just ask that you would give me the tongue of the learn, that the Holy Spirit would speak through me, and that you give us all ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. i got to get my different eyeballs down here. So the quick overview that you have there, I actually have a little bit more in front of you there because I talked about uh, the 70 weeks of Daniel a little more on this paper uh, than I did up here. So these are the events that we're awaiting. We're awaiting the rapture of the church, the church to be called out. The, that's a little loose way to say it. The, the followers of Christ, the true church, to be called up to go into the hoopah or the honeymoon chamber. Uh, so we're going to be united with our groom and we're going to go to the hoopah. And you'll, I'll get some more into this. That's not a G, that's an A. The hoopah, which is the honeymoon chamber. And they went in there uh, for a period of seven. And I talked a little bit about that a few weeks ago. So while the world's being plunged into great tribulation... Uh, Paul said, like the world's never seen, Jesus, all of them talk about it. Not, we're not just talking about some form of tribulation. We're talking about the worst tribulation the world's ever known. So if you think about that, you think about the trouble we've seen in our lifetime. Uh, somebody was sharing with me the other day. They said if somebody was born in 1900, they saw the First World War. They saw uh, the Spanish flu that wiped out way more people than COVID did. They saw uh, the uh, depression. They saw the stock market crash. By the time they were 30, they'd seen all that. And by the time they were in their late 30s, they saw another world war. And by the time they were in their 50s, they saw the Korean War. And if they lived to be in their 60s, they saw Vietnam. And you get the picture of all that. <laughs> so there's a lot of tribulation we've seen, but the Bible says this is going to be great tribulation like the world's never seen. 
And then we're going to see Christ's return, what we call the second coming. Here's a lot of people get the rapture and the second coming confused. They're, they're two different events. Paul talks about the rapture as when we go to meet the Lord in the air. And then Jude talks about what Enoch prophesied, that the Lord is coming back with ten thousands of his saints. So the saints have got to get up there before they can come back. So this is, these are two different events. This is what we call the catching away or the rapture of the church. And then this is the second coming when Christ actually comes back to the earth. And this is something I've shared a couple of times. Uh, you know, David uh, became king and he, everyone who wanted him to be king went to Hebron where he was at. And then after he relocated, which is what Jesus is going to do, to Jerusalem, then he usurped his authority over everybody. And that's what's going to happen here. Those of us who want Jesus to be king are going to meet him in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord, Paul said. And then we're going to come back with him when he sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem. And he's going to exercise his authority over the whole world. So it's a beautiful picture of what happened with King David. After the second coming, the world will be plunged into what we call the thousand-year reign or the millennial. Uh, the great white throne judgment is, has not happened up until this point. A lot of people have bad doctrine. They misplace that or just use it as a catch-all. But there'll be a separation of the goats and the sheep, according to Matthew chapter 25. It appears that the sheep will repopulate this millennial as natural people. Now think about that. Not everybody dies in the tribulation. Half, about half the world's population, if you add up the thirds that die from this and all that, it looks like, and I, I heard just the other day that there's uh, 7 point something billion people they estimate in the world. So if there are 7 billion, which is somewhere around that, and then let's say 1 billion of them go into rapture, which I think that's too high of a number, but just for numbers sake, that would leave 6 billion people to travel through this 7 years of great tribulation. If, well, if our math adds up right, by the time we get from year one through year seven, three billion of those people will be dead. That's a lot of folks. About half the world's population will be dead. <clears throat> when you get out here, a lot of people have turned to Christ. Many of them, it cost them their lives because of the mark of the beast and all that during this time. But some of them that made it through or maybe got redeemed on the tail end here because John said he saw a number that no man can number coming out of the great tribulation out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation that had been redeemed. So when they get here, <clears throat> there's going to be also people who did not side with Christ who did not die. So that's why there's got to be a separation of the sheep from the goats. Uh, the ones that are left. So when the sheep cross over into the millennial, they are going to be natural people. In fact, we'll get into this. Isaiah said that long life will come back. And he actually says, gives us an example. He said if somebody dies at 100 years old, they'll be considered a child. So if you, and, he, and he talks about there in, in Isaiah chapter 11 about the lamb laying down with the lion during this time. 
this millennial. He talks about the child playing by the poisonous snake's den or hole. And so a hundred years, if somebody dies at a hundred years, they're going to be considered a child. Now, if we long life gets restored, we know that Methuselah lived to be 969. That's the oldest recorded guy that we know about. <clears throat> I think, was it Noah lived to be 950? And so there's a lot of folks living a long time. Those guys <clears throat> didn't, a lot of them, if you read the accounts of these guys in Genesis, some of them didn't even have children until they were 130 or that's not a bad idea, you know. You ought to be mature enough to deal with them by that point. <laughs> 130. Hey, he's a dad. <laughs> Abraham, you know, I think he was 110, wasn't he? And, the, of course, the, the man's years were dwindling fast after the sin and everything. But I think Abraham lived to be 100, was 160 or 180, something like that. So... Long life's coming back, but you've got to remember these are going to be natural people. And so anybody that does something against God during this time, and there will be people who, who will be born, these people who are born during this time will have to make a choice to follow Christ. And He'll be here on the earth, which is when you read all this, as we go through all this, you're going to find out, that the devil is cast in a bottomless pit during this time. So it doesn't say that his demons are, but <clears throat> their leader is going to be chained and thrown into the bottomless pit. Then the Bible says at the end of this, he's going to be loosed for a while, for a little bit. And it says people in the earth will side with Satan. Now that sounds insane to me. Because these people during this time actually have access to Jesus. They could go to Jerusalem if they wanted to. You think about that. And there's, there are going to be people who still side with Satan. I mean, that's, that's mind-blowing. But the, Jesus said what? He said, men love darkness more than they love the light. So that's, that's, that's what we see. And so God is going to then, we'll have the great white throne judgment. We'll have a new heaven and a new earth. And there's uh, nothing clear cut that I can hang a chapter or verse on this. But I'm saying at this point, <clears throat> even the people that live through the millennial reign will get a glorified body and will be into that eternity, that time where there is no time. So a lot going on. If people say, you better hope you write when you stand before the great white. If you go to the great white throne judgment, you missed it. That right there, is, that's where people get sentenced to the lake of fire. So today is the day of salvation. You need to come to Christ. You don't need to put it off till tomorrow because this stuff could kick off this year, but none of, we don't have the promise of tomorrow. So that's why Paul said today's the day of salvation. So we need to make sure that we're walking with Christ and ready to meet Him. So these, this is the chart you have in front of you there. This is the order of the events that we're waiting on. These are all based on so, uh, several things. I've given you a lot of types and shadows, and that's where people fail uh, when they study the Bible. They don't, <clears throat> you know, I've been on a crusade for 30 plus years now to restore the Old Testament back to the New Testament church because a lot of po people in the New Testament era have just kind of left the Old Testament. So, but there's so many types and shadows that help us discern and see things uh, that have come on. So I give you some dates here. We talked about Artaxerxes' decree in Nehemiah to rebuild 
and then till the time of Messiah was cut off. That would be 445 B.C., and that's, that's a historical record. I didn't pull that out of the Bible. That's a historical record. And that would put the Messiah being cut off in 32 A.D., which is, makes sense if he was born in, ground, in year zero. So you got 69 sevens or 69 Shabuas, which are 69 seven-year periods which puts you from 445 B.C. to A.D. 32 when Jesus would have went to the cross. And then we're, st- we're waiting on that last 70, uh, that seven-year period, which is that 70th week that Daniel talks about there uh, in his prophecy. And, and he actually separates it himself in the book, uh, in the book of Daniel, and then we find that last seven-year period out here for the tribulation period. Now, the reason that's important is because Daniel said, it's a time that I'm going to deal, the Lord told him, said, it's going to be a time I deal with your people. So this 445 B.C. all the way through the Messiah was a time God was trying to reach uh, Israel and, and draw them in to him. In fact, Jesus said, I didn't come to the Gentiles, I come to the lost house of Israel. He raised up Saul, whose name later became Paul, to come to us Gentiles. Then this last seven-year period is, is the time when the time of the Gentiles comes to a close, and Jesus mentions that in Luke 21, and the focus goes back on Israel. So during that seven years of tribulation, Israel is going to become the focus again. It doesn't mean other people won't get saved or redeemed or born again, however you want to say that. But it means the focus is on Israel, just like right now. I have some Jewish friends who are Messianic. They've been born again. They do believe that Jesus is a Messiah, but the nation as a whole does not. So the focus right now is on the Gentiles, but there are Jews who are being born again. But the focus is going to shift back to Israel. So because the Lord is going to get Leah first, right? He's going to get Leah in the rapture. And after he labors seven more years, he's going to get his... He's going to get Rachel. So there's a lot of beautiful stuff here. And you've got to understand how the Bible is tied together. And the Bible is its best interpreter. If we'll just, get, just keep reading it and chewing it and let it, let it interpret itself. So these things we've talked about up here, and you can obviously write all over this and add some things. If you, I've got some things up here that are not on here and vice versa. So. Uh, we'll keep growing with that as well. So what I wanted to talk to you about tonight is make sure you keep this in front of you so you can understand how this is going to play out. Um, I, t- I was telling a couple people before church, I, you know, if I can get 56 more years out of these new vessels, then I'll be 112, right? So that's a lot of time. We may see a lot. I think there's a, there's a chance that all of us can be alive when the Lord returns. That's how close I believe we are. And that's exciting. That's an exciting time if we live a normal life, if he doesn't choose another path. So let's go to Daniel chapter 12. And let's, here's what I want to talk to you about tonight. The signs of the times. How do we know that we're living in the last days? We're going to look at a bunch of that. Obviously, we can't look at everything the Bible has to say. But we're going to look at some specific chapters and verses uh, that talk to us about that. So in Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, here's what he said to him. This is the last chapter of that book. He says, But you, Daniel, shut up the words 
Seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Do you think that's happening? I mean, what's happened? Uh, when did the Wright brothers invent the plane? It's early 1903. And the car was invented right around that time too, right? Henry Ford and 1901, something like that. So the ability to move and to go to and fro, and now even uh, what would be the word uh, electronically with all the ways we've got to see someone or talk to someone, certainly we can see that that's happened in a short amount of time compared to the rest of the history of the world. Uh, and also, knowledge is increased. You can see how many things that man has increased his knowledge in. We can all agree that it's not all great or good, but a lot of it has been good. And you can see that that certainly is happening. But we wouldn't build any doctrine just on that one verse. But what I want to show you tonight is a lot of these things are happening. Now, let's go to James chapter 5, and let's see something he says about the end of time. We, we see people going to and fro from the travel to the internet travel to phones, the technology, all the stuff we see that has uh, mind-blowing, you know, just those of you that been through what I've been through or something similar to, to know that they can breathe for you, pump your blood for you and sew you back up and you walk out of there and everything works, you know. So that's, that's a lot of knowledge, a lot of move, advancement. Uh, in James chapter 5, here's some other thing that we're going to identify. He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you, for your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. That's a strong indictment, isn't it? Listen to what he said about them, though. He said, You have heaped up treasure... In the last days. So they, that's their security, right? They think their security is money. And we had... Uh, uh, there are people that are in positions to control our life more than we know. And we can be forced into a lot of things against our will. So, you know, I know there's been a lot of trouble with this Internet currency, but that something along those lines is coming because all these systems have to get put in place for the Antichrist to be able to control the world. He can't control the world if he can't control your money or, or your transportation or whatever. So the, all these systems, you know, they, a lot of these new cars, they can send a, a shot from a satellite, it all sounds good, right? But we know that in the end it's all going to be turned on the world because Antichrist is, is, is inhabited by Satan. But it sounds good that if they say, hey, my car's been stolen, can you send a hit off the satellite and disable it wherever it's at? That sounds good. Until the wrong hands get a hold of it, right? I mean, they can shut our phones off right now if they wanted to. I mean, there's just, uh, it sounds good for the new, uh, the new parents for somebody to say, let us put this chip in your baby. Because if we put this chip in your baby, it can never be kidnapped. We'll be able to track it anywhere in the world. Nobody will ever. Sounds good, right? I mean, you can see how the devil is referred to as a serpent, right? And this 
uh, I don't know if y'all remember just across the river in Indiana several years ago, somebody had one of those big snakes that wrap around you and, and they found them dead out in their barn because the snake, the owner had got too comfortable with the snake, right? And that what happens with us with Satan? We get too comfortable with him. And the snake just uh, started wrapping around him. It was all fun and games, I guess, at first, because how many times did that happen? And this time the snake decided not to let go. And they say once the snake starts wrapping, every time you breathe, take a breath in, he tightens up a little bit. I mean, there's such a parallel to that, isn't there, for our spiritual journey. And then pretty soon you've took your last breath because he's been able to tighten up so much you can't breathe in any longer. And so that's, uh, that's the work of the serpent, right? So this stuff is all, it all sounds good. I mean, if, if you're not, this is why we're doing this. And I, I'm not saying I know everything, and I'm not saying you're going to wake up one morning, you're not going to know every detail of everything God's got going on. That's not possible. But we need to understand the plan. Paul said we're not in darkness like the world is, right? That that day would overtake us unawares or that it would catch us off guard because we know what God's Word teaches. But let's take the average person who's not been raised around God's Word, never spent any time in God's Word, that stuff's going to sound good to them. If I was uh, 22 years old, didn't have any knowledge of God's plan and the kind of world we're living in and how close we are to the end of all this, and I go to a hospital and they say, hey, we want to put this chip in your baby so it could always be tracked. I mean, that's going to sound great to me. You mean I'll never have to worry about my child being kidnapped? Sign me up. I mean, that's how it works. Remember what I was talking about Sunday? The devil's a deceiver. Has anybody ever been deceived? I know we've all been deceived by Satan more than we'd like to admit, right? But let's, have you ever been deceived by somebody personally? It's a bad feeling, isn't it? Because they came in on you really nice, right? They came in on you saying, we're best friends, right? And they, instead of loving with a straight arrow, right? Agape, they had an eros, they had a hook, right? They come in, we're best friends, come over. Now let me sell you some Amway. Nah, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> How many remember Amway, right? <laughs> get the, we're going to get the hook in you first and draw you in. But, uh, but that's, that's how the devil works. He don't show up at the door with, his, with smoke coming out of his ears like Grandpa on the monsters. You remember that? He don't show up at the door with smoke coming out of his ears, his pitchfork in his hand. I don't know where they got him at that anyway. But, and beating the door down saying, I'm here to destroy your life. That's not, that's not how this works. He's a deceiver. He can't, as I said Sunday, he can't get us to buy in to join him in the lake of fire. That don't make sense. So he's a deceiver. So these people are storing up treasures for the last days. They think their ability, and this is money or currency or however money's going to look in that time or the next time we wake up, uh, but that's still representative. I can take care of myself. Well, if there's one thing. I was reminded of 14 weeks ago, there's times in our lives we can't take care of ourselves. We don't even know what's happening. All right? But thank God, God's been around the corner before we get there. Amen? 
So he says, and he's upset with these rich guys. He says, you kept back by fraud, cry out in the cries of the reapers. Now think about this. As a Christian, when we stand before the Lord, and watch when he's really insightful on this kind of stuff, he talks about how we're going to have to give an account of ourselves. I mean, and I think we're, we're, we're going to be, if you make it, if you go up in the rapture, or you die in Christ and you come out of the grave, you're in. But we're all going to be judged for our stewardship. So, some will receive rewards. The Bible said some will be saved as though by fire. I mean, in other words, their, their stuff's going to be burned, but they're going to make it into heaven. That's kind of a strange concept to think about. But, uh, you know... This world's not our home. We're just passing through. Now, I don't know how you get to this level of faith. Because we're all, we all think about rainy days, right? All of us think about rainy days. But John Wesley, they wrote of him and said, When the year turned over, Whatever he had saved, he gave it all away and started from scratch every year because he wanted to live by faith. He didn't want anything to interfere with his faith. I don't know how you get there. How do you get to where Mother Teresa was at when she won the million dollars and gave it all away? I'd have kept some of it. I, I would have tithed and give a really nice offering, but I'd have kept some of it, you know. I mean, that's the nature of the flesh, right? Uh, but there are people who totally trust in God. And uh, you'll never go wrong by doing it. Let's go to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Here's another characteristic or a sign of the end of time. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, let's look at verse uh, 3. Now, this is some interesting words here, so I'm going to have to flip this board and uh, show you a couple of words back here. So, he says, uh, Let no one deceive you, in verse 3 of chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians. Let no one deceive you. Now, if you remember, some of the writings to the Thessalonians were written because evidently someone had told them the Lord had come and they missed Him. And so Paul's having to clear that up. So he's given them some clues and some signs. He says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or worship, so that he sits in God in the temple, showing himself to be God. So the, the chart, you know, that... Let me go back here. I probably flipped this over too quick. This is all considered the day of the Lord. This season, right? A thousand years is as a day, a day is as a thousand is as the same as... So that's a prophetic statement in Psalm. And so Peter takes that Psalm and speaks of it in his uh, epistle in the third chapter there when he's talking about the end of time. It's a prophetic statement. It gives us an understanding of God's time frame. And so uh, this... Uh, this day of the Lord here, there's going to be an apostasy, apostate uh, is the root form 
of the word apostasy. That's the word of falling away. And this word means to uh, forsake, to uh, move away from the faith, and to defect. Jesus said the love of many is going to grow cold, right, in the last days. He said it's going to be like the days of Noah. Right? These are all signs, right? He said it's going to be like the days of Lot. He destroyed the whole city and just saved handfuls out of that. Saved eight people out of the whole earth. That's why I'm, I'm real skittish about saying a billion people will go when the rapture. I, I think that's highly unlikely. If you watch, and when Jesus talks about those who are going to heaven, He says few are going to heaven and many are going to destruction. So the days of Noah, we know it was so bad that only eight people got on that boat. Only eight people believed the message. Only eight. Now, we don't know how many, there was probably a few million people on the earth at that time. Maybe many million people. Eight of them believed what was going to happen. We're getting there again, right? I mean, we're getting into a culture in our world where people don't want anything to do with God. They don't believe the things of God. They don't even believe in the devil. They, they don't believe in heaven. They don't believe in hell. They don't, they don't uh, congregate with the church. I mean, they, we're getting into a spot to where we are getting in a horrible, horrible's not a right, but a small minority. So this apostasy is a falling away. I, I read this article years, several years ago that uh, the ACLU was suing churches for people who had left the church and they called it being debaptized. They're trying to unbaptize them, whatever, whatever language they used. So they were suing churches for their, the money they'd given over the years. And I don't know how you debaptize somebody. I don't know if you stick them back in the baptistry and try to funnel them out of the, out of the drain and hopefully catch them somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, uh, the world's crazy. We know they're crazy. But, uh, so... There's a great movement against God. I, I, I say this from time to time. How would you like to be God? Now, we all get frustrated for a lot of reasons. But how would you like to be God, create everything, and get credit for nothing? I mean, that's where we're at. That's why I used to think, until I did an exhaustive study on Isaiah about 20 years ago, I used to think the last straw before a nation was given over to judgment was sexual perversion. But that's the next of the last problem. The, the last straw is when they give themselves over to idolatry. Because that's a slap in God's face. And that, that's what really Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel was trying to get to. Because when you get into the gross sexual immorality, which our country is in, there's no question about that, then you... In order for people to maintain some level of a conscience, they have to find a God that's okay with that. So they start seeking out these pagan false gods to ease their conscience, right? I mean, this has come up just lately in America about how uh, it should, there are people that are now advocating that it should be okay with a grown man to be with a small child. And I mean, this is insanity, what we're talking about. I mean, if we didn't really know what the Bible taught and how it was going to be like those, the days of Lot, I mean, how was it when Lot was here? The men came to the door where the male angels had showed up and they wanted to have 
sexual relationship with those angels. And I, I know Lot probably, there was a strong thing about when somebody come in your home, you took responsibility for them. And that's why that big story about Benjamin, where that woman was raped and plundered, and, and then they took her body and cut it in 12 pieces and sent it to each tribe because Benjamin had done horrible. And if you want, the Bible's got everything. You don't have to turn on the TV. All you got to do is read your Bible. Uh, but he was felt responsible for them and offered these guys his daughters. They didn't want them. They wanted the dudes, the angels. And, of course, the angels cast blindness on them, right? And they couldn't even find the door. I mean, the world don't know who they're dealing with. God could take anybody's breath this moment, this second. This very second. Hey, what did he say? He said, I, the one guy said, I'm going to just keep building barns. At what point do you stop building barns? And then the Lord showed up and said, you fool, you're dying tonight. You're checking out. Then who's all the barns going to be? The good Christian friend of mine who was a multi-millionaire, he'd been in coal business, and he come out of retirement to open business. He was in his 70s, and I said, I said, Cecil, what are you doing? I used to mow his grass when I was early in the ministry and didn't, wasn't making much money. I mowed grass through the summer. And uh, I said, what are you doing, Cecil? I said, you, you could enjoy life. And he said, well, he said, I can't take his stuff with me. And he said, I, I want, said, there's so many people that need jobs around here. I decided I'd put my money and help other people with it. And I walked off that hill that, that day thinking a hundred times more of him than I did when I went to Moe's Grass before that happened. And I thought a lot of him to start. He was a good Christian man. But I thought, how selfless is that to take your wealth and your empire and put it back out here where other people can make $70,000 a year and you just put it out there. He drove an old Bronco and he said, he said, there's only so much money you can spend. He said, I don't, ain't nothing else I want. But that's an attitude. Now the other guy in the Bible had just a different attitude, right? He said, I'm going to keep building these barns. I've got to have more. I've got to have more. And that's how money can do us if we're not careful, right? we just got to keep adding to it and adding to it. But we're just passing through. And these people in, in uh, James, they thought their money was a guard against the last days, but it wasn't. Now let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look at this. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 4. He's, he's talking another sign of the end of time. Verse... 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the last times, or the latter times, some will depart from the faith. That word departs, the same word as I gave to you out of Thessalonians, another form of apostasy or to move away. It means to withdraw, to, to absent oneself from. And remember I preached a few weeks ago, we shouldn't as Christians say, I used to. What did you used to do? For We should still be doing that. He says, uh, they will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits. There's the devil. Doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy. Now listen if you don't hear our culture in all this. 
having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing is to be refused if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified with the word of God and prayer. Every movement, if we're not careful, goes too far. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what he's saying there. He's saying everything God's made is, is fine. You just need to pray over it, right? And he, he gives a qualification. It's sanctified. He says it's not to be received. It's received with thanksgiving. Everything we get should be with thanksgiving. For it's sanctified by the word of God in prayer. Nothing is to be refused. For every creature of God is good. So what we fall into is extremes, right? Like the forbidding to marry and all the things he's talking about. That's the culture we live in. We're living in a culture where people go to extremes, right? We should be balanced even with our food and stuff. We shouldn't be radical. I'm not chewing kale chewing gum. I ain't doing it. You can bring it to me all day long. I'm not chewing kale chewing gum. And so you, we need to be balanced. And that's, that's uh, trust God, pray over things. Don't be excessive in any particular thing, but receive the things of God. But we live in a culture now that is out of whack. From, even with, uh, with our health sometimes, people make that like a God to them. We should be healthy. We should take care of ourselves. But bodily exercise profits a little. But godliness with contentment, Paul said, is the greatest gain. So we need to make sure we keep first things first, right? And uh, then he says, uh, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Here's another sign of the times. Verse 1 of 2 Timothy 3. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Dangerous times. And then he says what men will be like. He says men will be lovers of themselves. There's that hook, right? Eros. They will be lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers. And the world that wants to do their thing now, I'm not talking about true Christians, they, they are so unforgiving. They want to dig up somebody's past for 40 years ago and, and destroy them with it. They don't, they don't understand forgiveness. And he says... They're unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control. They're brutal, despisers of good. They're traitors, headstrong, haughty. And here's one, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, if you read the statistics of some of the lifestyles that people choose, their own statistics... If you were sober and read the statistics, you would say, I don't need to live like that. Whether it's addiction or perversion or whatever. Their own statistics tell you that. But what's the problem? Men love pleasure. They, they love pleasure rather than loving God. 
Men love darkness more than they love light. We're in the last days. We, all these things are taking place. He says, they have a form of godliness, but deny the, denying its power from such people turn away. Now, we, when there's some tragedy, and there was a, could have been a tragedy with this guy, this football player, but as that thing unfolds, it's sad to watch the kind of language he's using and people in there. I mean, it's just pitiful. God just bails you out. I, I, I don't, I don't, people, but they, God is used, uh, he's used, basically. I like to use God's name when it's convenient or when it works for me. But as far as being a servant and playing by his rules, I got my own rules. I'm going to play by my own rules. I had a professor tell me when he was a pretty arrogant guy in school, and he taught uh, psychology. And you got those guys that get in there, if they're not balanced with the Lord, they can get on some weird stuff. <laughs> but he finally, he'd do all kinds of stuff to try and uh, dig at me because he knew my position as a Christian and, and going into the ministry and everything. Eventually, that was what I felt called to do. But he, he finally did all this stuff uh, that was against God. And he, he looked at me one day and he said, smile real big and said, no, God, me and God understand each other. Of course, I got a bad grade in this class. <laughs> this was probably why. Because I said, you're right. He does know exactly who you are. And that's true of all of us. He knows us. And, he, and, and we're going to have to give an account of our stewardship someday. Let's look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Just going over the next chapter, look at verse 3. Here's another sign of the end of time. For a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now, the doctrine we should have is not is, is what the Bible teaches. Now, I know there are churches that have doctrines on the wall somewhere, and that's fine if they've got chapter and verse and they're putting but a lot of them they just come up with their own ideas. And uh, one church I remember years ago would get up every weekend with its own flag and march around the church and tell everybody how they were right and everybody else was wrong. That's not the kind of doctrine we need. We need the kind of doctrine that is biblical. Everything comes out. But they're going to deny the doctrine, sound doctrine, according to their own desires. Notice how many churches, and I've shared this many times about going to seven churches and one of them used scripture and one of them... Uh, Use one verse, and the other six didn't. Two of them read out of newspapers, and I can't. I mean, just stuff to tickle people's ears. No real challenges. You, when you come to church, uh, a couple of things should be happening. You should be getting encouraged, but you should also be getting reproved and rebuked. Don't mean it has to happen every time you come through the door, but that should be a process that's constantly working. Because I'll be at the back door, and this has been going on for thirty some years, and. Somebody will say something, they'll say, man, uh, when you said this, and I'm like, I didn't say it that way. The Holy Spirit took it and put it in you like you needed to hear it. He's a way better teacher than I am. I'm just a, a donkey, right? But he takes, I'm a willing donkey. 
That's my claim to fame. I'm a willing donkey. I'm willing to lay my head on the block for whatever he asks me to do. But I'm not a perfect donkey. Right? I'm still a donkey. But God, sometimes people will say things to me and I'm thinking, I didn't say it that way, but I know how the Holy Spirit works. He took that and imparted it into you because you needed to hear that. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, the Holy Spirit could go across this congregation tonight and drop something in everybody's spirit that they need to know that I didn't say. If you read the book, it's the Holy Spirit is the best teacher. If the Holy Spirit is teaching us through His Word, and He never veers from the Word. The Bible says the Spirit and the Word agree. So that is the beauty of how He works in our lives. I want to get through a couple more here before we quit. <clears throat> he says, uh, he says <clears throat> verse 3 and 4, He says, For their time will come, they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap for themselves teachers, they will turn their ears away from the truth, and be turned aside to fables. That's, that's going on. I mean, we're living in that time. Now, let's go to Luke 21. This is my favorite chapter on the end of time because Jesus talks to us here. Here's you some other signs, and let's see if they're going on. Uh, let's look at verse 8. We're just talking about things that should let us know where we're at in the timetable of God. Verse 8, he said, Take heed that you not be deceived. So there's a warning against that, right? We talked a lot about that Sunday. I preached about how the devil's a deceived. For many will come in my name saying that I am he. All right? So there's two things that we see when Jesus talks in these Mount of Olives prophecies. There are false prophets or false Christ, I should say. False prophets. And then there are people. Now look, notice how this reads. Take heed that you not be deceived, for many will come in my name. And we're not talking about a false Christ here. He mentions false Christ later. But, and saying that I am He, He's speaking in first person. So in other words, there's people who are coming using Jesus as their cloak, but they're still teaching the wrong things. And the time is drawn near, therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions... Do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. So we've seen that, right? I went through just a little bit of a litany since 1900. We've seen those wars and things, but the end is not immediately. <clears throat> we've seen what happened with Jerusalem getting ransacked in 70 AD, or we read about it. Then he said, nation will rise against nation. The Greek word there is ethnos. This is not what we would call a nation like America against Russia. This is ethnic groups. It's like the Japanese against the Koreans or the blacks against the whites or the factions that they have in Iraq and Iran where you got the Sunnis. That's what he's talking about there. Ethnic groups struggling with ethnic groups. They're rising against one another. The Indians rising against the white men, whatever. These are, that's what he's talking about. These is a sign. Then the next one is what we would call nations, kingdom against kingdom. Russia, America, China, whatever. Then he says there will be great earthquakes in various places. And then the New King James got a good way of saying that there. And we've seen that, right? And I'll bring that chart out here during our study how earthquakes have really taken off since 1967. That's when the countdown started here. Although, don't look like we're counting down tonight. There we go. So, 
that the earthquakes took off and they happen all over, right? I mean, it's not just a few hot spots anymore. They happen in America. They happen in uh, Indonesia, Japan, China, South America. They just, they're everywhere now. They're in, all these things are signs. There will be uh, famines, right? We've been watching that since the 70s on television. Pestilences. You know, we know we just keep getting new diseases and new strands of diseases, one right after another, sexually and then like with the flu and COVID and all, we just get one thing after another. There will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you to synagogues and prisons that you might be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And he's talking to his disciples here, his Jewish disciples, but it will turn out for you as an occasion of testimony. Therefore, settle in your hearts not to meditate before on what you answer, for I will give you a mouth of wisdom, which your adversaries will not be able to contradict. And we have that promise as well, but he's speaking specifically to them. He's saying before these things he just told them, the Jews basically are going to wind up being scattered around the globe. And that's what happens. Uh, he says in verse 20, when you see what's going to take place before these major earthly signs, this is going to happen to the Jews. And it did. In A.D. 70, see this, Jesus is talking in, in, the 20s, uh, in the 30s, right? He's talking in 30 A.D. probably, somewhere around this time, 31. He's speaking to these guys before 70 A.D. So he's telling Israel because that's who he came to speak to uh, initially. And he's telling them these things are coming to let you know the end of time. He said, but before these things, this is going to happen. You see that? He said, see what he says? But before all these things... They're going to persecute you, Jews. They're going to do all this. And it says, when you see Jerusalem, in verse 20, surrounded by armies, know that the desolation is near, and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. Let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant. And if you read the account of what happened to Jerusalem, when Rome come in there and ransacked it, Josephus gives some accounts of that. It's horrendous. The Jews turned in, turn to cannibalism and everything. I mean, it was horrible what they were going, uh, going through and how the, it worked against them. And look what he says. For there will be great distress. Uh, he says, but woe to those who are pregnant. Those, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. He's talking to these Jews here, right? He says, and that's what happened. They had a horrible history after that. Even into World War II, right? All this trouble. And he says, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. That's what happened to Israel. Before these major signs of the end of time, he's talking to the Jews saying, this is going to happen to you first. So they got led away captive to all these nations. Then they went back home in 1948. Then they recaptured Jerusalem in 1967. And bam, now all these signs we just read are happening. Here we are. And Isaiah said in chapter 11, he said, when you see me regathering my people back the second time, he said, let the rest of the world, I'm putting this in my own words, but he said, let the rest of the world know, the Hebrew would put it like this, let it be a banner waving to the rest of the world that the end is near. When you see my people going home, back to Jerusalem, back to Israel, the rest of the world needs to wake up and smell the coffee because the end is here. The time of the Gentiles is coming to a close, and the focus goes back on the Jews. 
And so he says, you're going to be led away and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So you got all these signs about the end of time. Then Jesus parenthetically says, let me tell you what's going to happen to Israel. Bam, he gives us a little insight that happens in 70 AD. And then when the time of the Gentiles is coming to a close, Israel's going back home and here we are in the last days. We're not headed. I said this early in my ministry 25 years ago. I used to say, we're headed to the last days. I don't say it that way anymore. We're in the last days. And I know I've known my whole life, uh, or my mother knew earlier than I did, but that I was an end-time preacher. I am that generation, the 1967 generation. I was born in 1966. I am this generation. When he says, the time of the Gentiles filled, there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, the stars. We know about the blood moons and all that the Bible teaches about that. The earth, the stress of nations, the perplexity, seas and the waves roaring, hurricanes after hurricane. Right? Men's hearts fell in them from fear for the expectation of those things that are, uh, that, which are coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man come in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. <laughs> Hallelujah for that. Amen. And then he says, look at the fig tree and all the trees when they are already budding. You see now and know for yourselves that summer is now near. So you also, when you see these things happening, what? Gentiles' time coming up, Jews going back home, earthquakes, all the things he said that, we, that are happening right in front of our eyes. He said, you also know that the kingdom of God is near. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till it all takes place. These things are the sign of that generation. We're that generation. We don't know the date or the hour. The Bible doesn't tell us that and tells us to stay away from that. But he says, we'll know the season. And Paul said, you're not in darkness, that that day would catch you unawares. He says, heaven and earth are going to pass away, but what I'm telling you, basically, my words will by no means pass away. And then he gives us a warning. And I'll end right here. Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing. We're not going to do that, right? I'm looking at a group of people, probably talking to a lot of people, that we're not going to live a life of partying. That's basically what he's talking about there. Drunkenness, things that are taking us away from who God's called us to be, whatever the substance is. But here's the one that will catch us if we're not careful. Cares of this life. What are you worried about? You shouldn't be worried about anything. Fretting only does what? Causes harm. It only causes harm. So we shouldn't be worried about anything. Cheer up. Don't worry about that, that bill tomorrow. You may not even be here to pay it no how. <laughs> and that's reality for me. You know, I, I, I lived through that lately. I mean, you may not be here, right? And somebody else can pay those bills when you're gone. Amen. <laughs> I'm going to a place over yonder where they don't have no bills. <laughs> Amen. Uh, where there's no bills and where I've got a Savior that I'm going to sit down at His feet. Man, oh man. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Him, I'm going to say, how did you put up with me? <laughs> you are so long-suffering. You're so full of love and so merciful. You have my affection for eternity. And when I see, we didn't get into that chapter, we'll, we'll next week, chapter 5 and 6, we'll go into those next. 
But these guys, every time something happens in Revelation, what we're getting in chapter 4, 5, and, uh, four and 5, especially, we're getting a picture of what's going on in heaven. Every time something happens, they're ready to worship, man. They're ready to bow down. They're ready to love Him. They're ready to give Him all the glory and the praise. We need to be like that, right? Let me say a word to you to try to challenge you right here. And I am going to quit. Is that my third close, I think? Right now is when you need to praise Him. It'll be easy over there. Everybody's going to be doing it over there. The, nobody's going to have a headache. Nobody's going to be standing beside you singing off key. It'll be easy over yonder, right? Right now, when we're under the load, when the world needs to see a difference, when the enemy's coming in and we need to stand and praise and worship him, now's when we need to do it. Our allegiance needs to be seen now. And we need to praise him now. He's worthy of all of our praise. Can you say amen? Let's give the Lord praise. Lord, we thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for your plan. We love your plan. We don't know every little detail of it, Lord. You didn't give us every little detail of it, but you gave us plenty of information so that we wouldn't be caught off guard. We love you. We're on your side. We know you're on our side. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Forgive us when we fail, Lord. Give us strength to grow. Help us to be mouthpieces. Help us to... Paul said we should be ready to give an answer of the, uh, of, of the hope that we have in us, Lord. We can't be moping around like the world. They need to see you in us, Lord. We need to be full of love and life and joy, Lord. The, your joy is our strength. Let that joy come alive in all of us. Let it change us. We're, you didn't design us to be the same when we're 25 as we are when we're 55. We're supposed to be growing. We're supposed to be moving up, becoming more like you. And so we pray for that, Lord. We live in the last days. Give us the strength we need. And we want to follow you and be obedient. In Jesus' name.